Welcome to TacrumCast. This episode is brought to you by Tacrum London. Joining me, Ken from Tacrum London, is Joe. Yep. Hello. This episode is actually brought to you from Tacrum Tokyo Studio because I, Ken, is on a business trip to Tokyo. So we figured that maybe we should talk about some Tokyo topics rather than London topics now that I'm in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the intersection of technology and design or creative world, a lot of Japanese people today, especially the people in Tokyo, imagine of Team Lab. And Team Lab has opened up a massive exhibition space、um, at the coastal area in Tokyo, which is called、right. Team Lab Borderless.、Mm-hmm. So me and Joe decided to pay a visit. And so, in this episode of TacrumCast, we'd like to talk about how the experience was, also, how we see the art world that Team Lab is living in, and also our practice, and at the same time, the kind of differences between the practices done in US, UK, and also Japan.、Right. So, Joe, how was Team Lab Borderless? What was it like? How was it like?、Uh, right, so the Team Lab, so the Borderless exhibition in Odaiba, right?、Um, mm-hmm. That was in Kotoku or something? Like, yes. Across the water. So it's, first of all, going to it is interesting. It's sort of in the middle of,、uh, well, not nowhere, but you gotta like take a far away、yeah. uh, metro train, you get there, there's like nothing around you, there's these signs that are a little bit. In, in, the, in the train station, there's big posters and stuff, and then you're sort of like left. If, if you're like me and you can't read Japanese kanji characters perfectly、oh, yes. well, <laughs> then you're left looking for these, these like treasure hunt, like looking at signs like, that don't contain too much kanji or that have maybe some English on it. And you're like, where is this place? And you, eventually, you get to that big, huge complex, and then、uh, escalators here, escalators there. You go through some Toyota dealership type thing,、yeah. and then you finally get to the entrance. And so, anyways, I, I don't need to talk about how to get there, but to me, that's part of it. Like, that's interesting that you have to do all that at rigmarole. And then finally, when you get there,、uh, you wait in line for a while because it's super busy. From what I can tell, it's like really popular、um, with tourists, especially. Yeah. Like in the line,、um, do, you, do you remember like the kinds of people that are in line? I felt like it was I, 90% tourists. There were quite few inbound, you know, foreigners, basically.、Mm. I went there. Half an hour before it opened, and、yeah. there was like already enough queue that we were waiting there for like half an hour after、yeah. it opened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we came out, there were just queues and queues of people、right. around the corner. corner. It's、Coming、not、out. a small place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Coming out, meter,、so、200 meter kind of queue、yeah. lining up.、Yeah. Um, these people already have tickets,、mm-hmm. so it was quite crazy. Right. Yeah, because you have to reserve your tickets online before you get there. So, how is it like inside? So, inside, all right. So, to get to the meat of, of, of the topic,、um, inside, so you go in and you sort of,、uh, yeah, the instructions, well, okay, again, it's not inside, but the instructions to get in are a little weird. And then you get in and it's like a curtain situation. And then you go through the curtain and it's all black. And it's basically a big black box for anyone who's worked in performance,、yeah. you know, and stuff like that. It's a big black box. Everything is like carpeted. Mm-hmm. Type blackish, so you know, for, good for projection.、Mm-hmm. And,、um, and then you know, you, you advance five meters or ten meters, and then you turn into a, the first room or whatever. 
and it's just projection everywhere, right? Yeah, it's continuous projection rooms after rooms mm. after space mm. after corridors of projections. Right, and it's and it's basically every surface except the ceiling, sometimes even the ceiling, depending on you know what room you're in. So it's basically like themed rooms, right? And some of the corridors are also like projected and yeah. mapped. And um, I think the first one we went into was like a flower, like some sort of. Um, generative like you know floaty flower projection everywhere yeah. and uh it was cool um colors are very bright it's really like rainbowy it's really like make could make anyone like go like ah type of feeling yeah um i didn't mind it i thought it was all right um i noticed it wasn't necessarily reactive yeah to motion um, and 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 uh, wider space, and then sometimes you can go into smaller rooms within those big rooms, and there'll be I think we saw some like portraits, generative yeah. portraits of like, like animals, paintings, looking things. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That move, and some of them do react. Those those I think might have reacted, and um, and so basically I think the first five ten minutes for me was just getting accustomed to the space and being bombarded with color and stuff everywhere, yes. and just. You know, and it's sort of fun uh, to be in that in that situation where, you know, your senses you're you're not sure where which one's a wall and which one's a, an entrance and which one's a, like a mirror because they put a lot of mirrors to duplicate the space. Yes. And so the first five ten minutes is just getting your bearings of like, whoa, what the hell? It's just stuff everywhere, yeah. and it's sort of like a maze, which is cool. Made me think of like carnival, mm -hmm. uh, like hall of mirrors type yeah. stuff, like when I was a kid. And um, and then you know every like we said every room has a theme and eventually you get to that big room which is in all the posters yeah which has the waterfall mm. right and the waterfall there's like this little the ground is like a asymmetrical module that goes that climbs up about a meter and you sort of like just walk up to it go to the waterfall on the wall and the waterfall. Put your hands on the wall, for example, and the waterfall sort of like should detect your movement and like fall around your hands. Yeah. And kids were having a hell of a good time with that. Uh, so that was cool. Just to see the other people freaking out about it was, yeah. it was fun for me because that's that's why I do the work that I, that's why I work in, the, in this kind of field, right? It's to see the people do that. So that was cool. Um, and to think that the walls, like what, what struck me was just this. The, the sheer scale of the space. Yeah, it's a massive space. That waterfall was good 15 meters wide, even more. 10, 15, something, something yeah. crazy. Like, yeah, and, and that one room, that one box must have been like, I don't know, 40 by 40 or something. Something like that. Pretty big. Yeah, and that's just like 20% of the space. Not even. Not even. Because it's actually two floors high. Right. And on the second floor, there's more, you know, interactive kids kind of uh, yeah. contents, yeah. which is also very interesting. But yeah. all the first floor are all projection mapping stuff that, right. you know, it's very interesting, but all the ceiling are connected mm. with some kind of, you know, true, true, true. art. Um, some of the corridor have just as, you know, similar to the waterfall, but have interesting caving in space where uh, they project different contents yeah, because, true. you know, that, it's a cave looking yeah. with different space, yeah. immersive and, uh, kind uh, of projections as well. Yeah. And it was fun to see the um, 
sometimes in the corridors there'd be butterflies just fly, you know, flocking and going around. You could actually smack them, <laughs> and they would fall to the ground. And I thought those little touches were nice because a lot of the of the places are not interactive, but sometimes they are. That's the one thing that is not clear to me. In a way, it doesn't have to be clear. I, I don't want it to be clear, like yeah. what all the instructions are. But I do feel like sometimes it's it's just uh, you know done and done. Like had sort of like it's too bad that people don't know that they could actually play with a certain thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that was actually so one of the amazing things about this place is because it's so massive. A lot of the families come, mm. and there's just kids running everywhere. Yeah. But kids just. You know, they don't care if right. it doesn't seem to work. Of course, yeah. They're just happy seeing these butterflies right. and little snails and everything running around. Yeah. And they would just smack on everything anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think for them it was almost, you know, this discovery mm. kind of exploration that they're doing. Mm. Secondary. Mm. It's more about, yeah, the exploration. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think that's the great part is that yeah. families are getting into these spaces. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not the common scenario of an interactive art exhibition mm. and uh, I mean we'll probably talk about this more later but to me that's the great contribution of Team Lab to the sphere mm. of interactive art is getting this mass general audience mm. into these spaces that you know never thought never never had an interest in you even knew of the existence of interactive art or, yeah definitely. and um, but yeah the, the like you said the, there was also the second floor which was massive and it had just to finish thinking about like the space mapping. There was also the, the the second floor was the kids space, and there were these sort of you know like weird slides, weird slides, yeah, like you know, and like the, the projections of these these like drawn. That was cool. There was a place where you could draw alligators or draw like yes. monsters, and then the, someone would scan them somehow mm. with a scanner, and then they'd project these sort of like crayon shapes that people. Yeah. So as it's not like technically crazy, but as a kid, to me that that would be probably amazing. Yeah, to eventually see a crocodile like you going around, and um, and there was like a trampoline, and there was like a big like blow up sphere space where you yeah you can push spheres while you're so and there was like soft soft ground <laughs> soft flooring in that area, Every, sort of like a jungle gym. Everything. Yeah. So yeah, which I think is is great if you're a kid. But, um, so overall, it, 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 you know, it does feel like a jungle gym mm. that's half for adults, half for kids. Yeah. Because the first floor is all hard surfaces and it's all like, just like corridors and rooms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can't throw yourself on the wall or whatever, but no. there's projections everywhere. And then the second floor is more like the jungle gym. Yeah. It's more interactive. You do things. Yeah. 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 You can touch things. You can you draw, hug things. You go wild. You can draw. Yeah. So overall, and then coming out, I felt dizzy, definitely. Like, especially like in the second half of it or near the end of it, I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm going like my, my brain is like fried. It's yeah. just too much like <laughs> stuff around me. And then when I got out and the brightness of like normal life came back, I was like, what the fuck? Like when your blood like just goes back <laughs> into your brain in one room. It felt like that. and. Uh, it was definitely overwhelming. It felt like a rough type of experience where there's not like necessarily any one narrative. I know that they do have stories written on the walls for every mm -hmm. room, sort of like in an, in an exhibition and you could read about. And I was reading, I was trying to read at the beginning and then I noticed other people just like zooming in 
not caring about you know what the room meant or whatever. And I was just like, okay, screw it, I'll just do that. <laughs> and um, and overall, yeah, it just felt like a big overriding experience that just like overrode my brain and just made me turn me into one of those kids of like, ah, look at this, touch it, touch it, touch it, and then this, you know. So I don't know. It was it was sort of overwhelming, very fun, and sort of like nonstop adrenaline. <laughs> what, how was it for you? I think pretty much the same. I think it was interesting in a way that because it wasn't so articulated, but you could still see it and experience it in mm. some ways. Mm. Because that's one of the probably one of the reasons why kids don't really enjoy museums. They have to follow through the narrative, or oh. else it kind of doesn't make sense. Right. And you always have this, you know, masterpiece at the close to the very end of the exhibition where yeah. everyone just queues up to see mm. and they're like oh yeah this is a beautiful painting but so what were the paintings before this it doesn't mm. really make sense well at least in their mind it doesn't yeah. so you know kind of them being able to get into every single art piece that's quite rare to see right. and i think you know also they did something interesting where you know all the corridors are also designed in a way to be interactive and entertaining mm. as well so that was really interesting. At the same time, you know, that scale, I've never seen things done in that scale. Yeah. So in both scale and the kind of new type museum context, I thought it was quite interesting. Mm. I've seen some of their work before, so it, you know, it feels like a great collection of what they've done in the past as well. Okay, so it's almost like a, like a, how do we call it? Like a retrospective, almost. <laughs> like so, they just put everything. Yes. I think we talked about that on the day of. Like for you, how it felt like they had reused a lot of things that they had before, or like reused them but differently. Mm. Which I think is smart in terms of you know trying to improve yourself, you know, in the studio. Yeah. Make new things, but you you, you reuse systems, and and maybe you can actually find some sweet some new sweet spot based on previous things you've made that are like assembled differently, you know? Yeah, I think also in that term it was quite interesting. I guess, you know, the kind of work that Team Lab does, we kind of frame it as creative technology or media art. Mm. And in general, I think there's quite huge Japanese studios, like Rhizomatics is another famous one, Tag mm. Project, so there's a lot of them. Mm. But um, Maybe we'll talk about that on another podcast. Mm. But for today, I think one of the interesting things about both of us is that Joe came from the US. He had a, he called himself creative technologist at the time. Now he calls himself design engineer. Right. And I, I used to study in a course that taught design engineering, but now I call myself creative technologist. And I thought it was quite interesting if we could talk about why um, we do so and what really is the thinking behind this, you know, yeah. naming paradox that we have? Right. Why did we Why did we go in, in opposite directions since with our with our titles and such? Um, well, mm, so yeah, in, when I was working in the U.S., even though I'm not American, Canadian, although no one cares, it's fine. <laughs> but that's, I have to I have I have to I have to say it. Um, but um, no, so yeah, when I was working in the U.S., um, I was on I was in California and. I think before I moved there, slightly before I moved there, you know, I, I graduated from computational design 
program in University of Montreal. And, uh, you know, the title was an important thing, but it was so nascent. Like, people didn't know what to call themselves, really. Mm. So it was just mixes of, you know, handbags, not handbags, but like a, you know, grab bag, sorry, <laughs> type of names and assembling them in different ways. But, um, but when, when I had to choose, I think, and I was in California, I think creative technologist was, that was the time when creative technologist was getting popular. That was the trend of the creative technologist name. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I didn't mind. I didn't think too much about it. I just, I grabbed it and mm -hmm. started using it. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I think it was beginning of 2010s. And then not too long after, I remember like a couple of years after, there was, there was a bit of a backlash of like people in the industry writing blog posts on, I think it was when Medium started be, becoming cool or mm. that just started. And people were writing Medium posts like, don't hire creative technologists. <laughs> or why I don't hire creative technologists. A complete bastard. Yeah, or why creative technologists is just a fad and you shouldn't care about it and stuff yeah. like that. And I, and I went back and I looked for those articles and there was actually a big article. I think the one that started off or the one that I noticed first was one by Whedon and Kennedy, Whedon plus Kennedy, whatever uh, studio in the U S and I think a lot of people, I remember a lot of people reacting to that strongly and uh, I reread it and it was basically just saying like, don't hire people that, you know, just because they say they're creative, they think they have good ideas about QR codes. That's to show how dated the article is, but <laughs> QR, because they have good idea about QR codes doesn't mean that they know how to code and they're like actual technicians who know how to actually program. Right. So I think it was just that, and which can be boiled down to just saying, you know, if you hire someone, make sure that they, they, they have the capacity to actually produce things and finish things which is fine. I mean, that's normal advice. Uh, but the way it was worded, like why I don't hire creative technologists is that's like it, quite a word. <laughs> yeah. It just makes you think about the, the naming of things and the importance of naming things. And then when I moved here to Japan, uh, and I knew that Takram here, uh, where we work was using design engineer as a title a lot. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. I thought it would sounded weird from an English perspective because I, I was like design engineer. So you engineer design or you design engineer. And I was like, okay, well, whatever you guys like, because I'm so used to hearing English that I'm, I don't, that sounds uncomfortable to me mm. here mm. <laughs> that I sort of don't even pay attention that much anymore to it. You know, the, the English uh, thing. Yeah. So, so I was English. just, yeah. <laughs> but then I found out through, uh, Kenya, uh, some, like one of the founders, and I mean, through everyone else here, that design engineer comes from where he studied and where a lot of the other people here studied at RCA, right? Yeah. And that it was a term coined there, right? Yeah. And that's why you. Yeah. So that really had there, it. it kind of connects to my story where mm. I study in RCA, a course called innovation design engineering. Mm. The course was made 38 years ago. It's a joint course made from RCA, Royal College of Art. It's mm. a art school, art design school. Mm. And then also joining them was um, Imperial College London, mm. which was a very famous engineering school. Yeah. And then the thinking at the time was that, you know, design and engineering, we think that is different, but actually it was, you know, the time that industrial design was rising. So they combined the two and called it industrial design engineering course. Mm. 
so this is 38 years ago, and then just about you know 10 years ago, the the previous head of the course renamed it to innovation design engineering because his thinking was that you know we're not no longer talking about just industrial design engineering. In design engineering could be much more. Mm -hmm. We could actually apply it for industries in a much more innovative way. The mm -hmm. point is not being industrial, but mm -hmm. more being more innovative. Mm -hmm. So it was renamed to innovation design engineering. Right. And then I joined the course about four years ago. And then, you know, so I spent the, day, the days there studying design engineering, right. which is established a good 30 years. Huh. Um, but graduating there, I kind of felt like, I thought before joining the course that I was you know, more of an engineer type of person, but having design essence as well. But graduating, I didn't, I wasn't really sure if I could call myself engineer in the way that I worked with my clients, because a lot of times what I'm doing is really navigating technologies to come together and orchestrating them rather than creating something new like, you know, oh yeah, we made a new you know, Bluetooth beacon that works mm. perfectly in this hundred, like hundred places. That's what engineers sounded like to me. Mm. So in my mind, I was really interested in orchestrating these, you know, very well established technologies to be something more creative or mm. something more yeah. well designed. Uh, so that's kind of where my thinking traveled from being a design engineer to creative technologist. Mm. Um, working in UK now, I think there's actually more design engineers than creative technologists and probably similarly how it's perceived here is done in the UK, which means that design engineer is more of a, you know, industrial real item product oriented jobs, whereas creative technologists are usually more towards softwares. Oh, okay. So user interface is your experience kind of people. Okay. tend to call themselves more creative technologists. Mm. But that was kind of just my feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, hmm. so that, that's how we ended up going in opposite directions yes. in our naming and our title name. Um, yeah, and there's, that's interesting because before I knew about the design engineer term as being like an actual term that came from somewhere, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I was going to, you know, when they ask us to, yeah, pull, pull in, put in our requests for new uh, business cards and you have to choose your title. And I was like, I was going to override design engineer because like, this doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> but I sort of wasn't happy with creative technologists for some reason. So, but then when I, when I looked into it and talked to people about it, like, I was like, okay, this, this is a term with some history. So I could I could get into that. So that's why yeah. I went to it. And I was probably just done with creative technologists as a, Maybe it's just like the flavor of the month. Like, you know, we can change whenever we want, especially now in this field, in the field we are in, like creative, creative tech, if we want to call it that, or just uh, innovation and design uh, studios. Like when you work there, you really can choose, unless you're like a real, you're really like a technician or someone who's steeped into one thing. Yeah. We, most of us end up doing like a combination of two, three, four, or five different things at the same time. Yeah. So instead of putting like, you know, uh, concept designer, concept plus print plus electronics plus software designer, yeah. just write creative technologist or design engineer. Uh, it just makes it easier. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. So it's like, 
it's something that you almost have to describe in person when someone's actually asking. So what do you do? <laughs> well, you know, I do I do a few things. I think that's one of the things that our founder Kenya tells us to do is that we have to come up with new names and new position names because mm. what we do is constantly evolving, constantly changing. Mm. And you know, we kind of need to if our work is actually evolving or changing, mm. we need to name ourselves differently. We yeah. can't always be creative technologists or design sure. engineers. Sure, sure. You know, design engineering is already old. It's his mm. Kenya's been calling himself design engineer for a good twenty years. Or so. Yeah. so what are we going to call ourselves next? That's is a good the question. Point. I guess. It's a good point. But it is and it's also geographically it's also interesting. Like me changing my title to design engineer on LinkedIn, for example, I'm sure that no one where I used to work, no one <laughs> you know, in North America will be like, what the unless people that worked in London maybe will be like, the hell does he mean by design engineer? That sounds weird. So, but but doing that probably pushes makes people have to change their frame of mind and their frame of reference about yeah. understanding it everywhere in different parts yeah. of the world. So it's probably a good thing, even if we're I'm using an older term maybe with design engineer. It's a good thing that it's making people react and think about it. In North America, you're changing us creative tech, even though it's an older term from North America, it makes people think in, in, yeah. in the UK. Then maybe we can evolve things a little bit. But that. I mean, people are always thinking about these new terms, like you said, right? And, you know, some people care about it more than others. Some people write medium articles, and there's a lot of people that are like, you know, have some opinion about it. But then there's some people that are quite serious about it, like John Maeda, right? Mm -hmm. Who, uh, in this year, 2019's, was it Design and Tech Report? Yes, he that, writes it annually. That we actually helped translate in Japanese. Mm -hmm. Me, not me, but I mean, we, not me, but. I think mm. you helped on that, right? No, yeah. it's it's different people. Different but, people. Um, well, yeah, Takam helps him as mm -hmm. part of a work to translate the script, translate his presentation in script, and also right. make some websites. But right. keep on. Well, well, anyways, well, you know, so the design and tech, and then the uh, uh, what was it again? Like you, you know the story, right? He he coined a new term. Yes. Right. This year where he was like, I don't like the term. Because he, he came to Tokyo and he spoke to us and I was there at the, when, when he mentioned this, he was like, I, I never liked this term or that term and blah, blah, blah. So I had to come up with a new term and I, I, I settled on, what was it, computational designer. Yes. I think that <laughs> makes sense because this and that. And he had, you know, of course, John, John Meda has, has a lot of, he thinks a lot. He has a lot of reasonings behind the yeah. whys. And, and things of what he does, and he just came up with that. I don't know how people are reacting to that much. I was trying to find some stuff online about it, but um, yeah, nomenclature sounds like it's not a big deal, but it can become a big deal. I think part of this act of renaming our position really means that we need to redefine our work itself as well. And mm. that thinking process or the thinking practice itself means mm. something for us, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good talking. Yeah, so this this opens up a lot of doors. Makes me want to talk more, but Technocast is just a bite-sized info. Yeah. All right. So join us for the next cast. Mm -hmm. We have one. Absolutely. Bye. Till then.